0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another new episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you today?
1: Alan, I'm doing great, buddy. December is here. I finished watching Marvel's What If series. Oh, very finally. nice. Yeah. I really like it. And uh, I cannot wait to finish our
0: review of the season three finale. Yeah, that's right. We're we're basically sitting here today having done part one of two. Right. Covering Lil' Sebastian. Yep. Lil' Sebastian. Lil Yeah, I've been practicing since last week and I still haven't nailed it. (laughs) It's tough. Keep it up. Yeah, I'll keep going. I'll keep working on that. Well, as you said, Mark, we're going to cover part two of season three, episode 16, Lil Sebastian today. Uh, We talked about all the stuff, you know, the who directed, who wrote it, all that run times, fun stuff last week. And I think, Mark, maybe to kick off this week, just to remind everyone where we left off. Do you want to kind of not necessarily do a full synopsis, but kind of a where we last left off kind of thingy? Meanwhile, at the where we last left off kind of thingy from last week, (laughs) excuse me, excuse me, a little (laughs) thing in my throat. All right. You're such a nerd.
1: (laughs) Yes, I are. Um, So we had uh, four stories that we had broken this down into. So we'll just real quickly go through these. So the A story uh, I called Lil, Lil Sebastian, we barely knew ye. When we last left our heroes, Leslie and the gang were busy making preparations for the memorial service for Lil Sebastian. Pawnee's beloved celebrity mini horse. Even though their budget is only $600, they're doing all they can, including Leslie paying Andy 50 bucks to write a tribute song, Tom getting them to hire entertainment 720 for the event, a production company recently started by John Ralphio, since they'll do it for free just to get the publicity. Ron is planning to lay the ceremonial wreath, which we all know he loves. However, you may remember earlier in the day, Leslie and Ben got caught making out by uh, uh, George, Jansen, I George think. Jansen. George Jansen. The, George the,
0: the, Jansen. George Jansen.
1: So they sent him home in exchange for his silence, is what it comes down to. Unfortunately, George Jansen had the propane for Lil Sebastian's eternal flame, Uh-oh. which has caused a chaotic ripple effect to ensue, which Leslie and Ben are barely able to keep ahead of. What will happen? Can Leslie and Ben prevent everything from crumbling into madness? How will the audience react to Andy's tribute song? Will the lighting of the eternal flame go off without a hitch? Stay tuned to find out. Dot, dot, dot. Nice. All right. In the B story, uh, which I had entitled Bensley gets busted. When we last left our heroes, we saw Leslie and Ben continuing their romance despite uh, despite a no dating policy at City Hall, but having difficulty keeping it a secret. Ron found out, confronted them and warned them If Chris is going to fire them. If he learns about it, he won't be able to stop him. As the city prepared for little Sebastian's memorial service, Leslie and Ben were caught by George Jansen. So they sent him home with a gift certificate uh, in exchange for his silence. Since uh, the missing George Jansen has caused this chaotic ripple effect, Leslie and Ben have really started to uh, rethink their relationship and what it means, and and what they want to allow to happen at work, and all that stuff. How will this turn out? Will Leslie and Ben get caught by anyone else? Will Ron or George Jansen tell anyone else? <laughs> will they eventually be fired because of their relationship? Stick around; all will be revealed. Dot dot dot. And then we got the C story, uh, Tommy's dreams. When we last left our heroes, we saw Ron and Leslie agree to hire at Tom's suggestion again. Entertainment seven twenty uh, for the memorial service. Um, and it was based off of an idea that Tom had, which I think is kind of important um, at the memorial service. We saw Tom take his job very seriously, and he did a great job overseeing everything that Entertainment 720 is involved with, or at least he has to this point. At several points, John Ralphio has encouraged Tom to join him at Entertainment 720, but Tom's hesitant to leave his stable job at City Hall and roll the dice with John Ralphio. What will happen? Will John Ralphio convince Tom to come join him? Who can Tom turn to for guidance? Stay tuned to find out dot dot dot. Nice. And then finally, the D story, which I entitled Tendinitis, the Silent Killer. When we last left our heroes, the extremely health conscious Chris found out he has tendinitis and he took the news very seriously, thinking about his own mortality, etc. And he talked to Anne multiple times about his condition, asking her advice, what it means, etc. And finally lost patience with Chris and tells him that she's not his nurse or his girlfriend and given their odd history, she's not ready to be his friend yet either. How will this turn out? Will Anne ever feel comfortable being friends with Chris again? Could there be an underlying reason for Chris's tendinitis stick around? All will be
0: revealed. Dot, dot, dot. Very nice job. Do you mean like, might he have a, a family history of it? Is that like maybe what the worry is? I don't know. Oh, the underlying reason, Yeah, the underlying reasons. Yeah. Well, Stick around. All will be revealed. Oh, 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 so sorry. Yeah. I I should be better at this by now. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for those recaps, Mark. That that helps us kind of remember where we last left off. Yeah. And I I think to double down on that a little bit, as we get back into the main episode here, you know, we're going to pick up basically Leslie has just taken the stage and the little Sebastian tribute video is just played by Entertainment right. 720. We yep. just caught the end of it. Went, out, went over really well. Went over very well. Uh, John Ralphio dropped that bomb on Tom about, you know, hey man, do like the cow in the video, follow your <laughs> dreams and become a horse. <laughs> I mean, what uh, other inspiring words does Tom need to hear in order to make this decision? God, he's such a nutbag. I love <laughs> it. Well, Mark, should we just jump right back into the episode where we left off then? Absolutely. Let's right, do it. Let's do Well, the moment has finally arrived and Andy will now share the song that he wrote for this little Sebastian Memorial. And I'm, I'm hoping it's better than the draft we heard in part one, which I think was titled Champion of Death.
1: Champion of Death.
0: Yeah. So we can only go up from there, Yes, right? we can. That's right, right. Well, let's find out. Everyone, to buy our merchandise. All the proceeds will go towards Lil Sebastian's favorite charity, the Afghan Institute of Learning. Aww. Next, we have a special <laughs> musical tribute by Mr. Andy Dwyer.
1: What's 5,000 times better than a candle in the wind?
0: This song is called 5,000 Candles in the Wind. There you go. Up in horsey heaven hears a thing You trade your legs for angels' wings And once we've all said goodbye You take a running leap and you learn to fly Wow, well that's pretty good, Mark. I um it's still one of my favorite mouse rat songs of all time.
1: Oh, absolutely. So just a couple things about this scene. You know, visually when Andy starts out, he's on a stool. Yep. And um, he's, he's you know, talking into the microphone and introducing the song. By himself. By himself. Yep. And and uh, right when he says you take a running leap and you learn to fly. And he and he yeah. gets up and he kicks back the Love stool yeah. and the curtains open yep. and the rest of Mouse Rat appears yep. and they're singing in harmonies and they're <clears> playing <throat> their instruments with Andy and the entire audience has like little, I think elect- electronic candle they're things like, yeah, that they, yeah, that they battery candles, And they're just yeah. waving back and forth yeah. so everybody is way yeah. way way into this like well, this was a chris hit. is
0: jamming out he's finally stopped weeping so that's a good sign <laughs> This ron's still a little teary but i think he's at least enjoying the jam
1: yes yes i think that he thinks it's suitably respectable damn it damn it yeah yeah that's right that's right it's, I, I plus oh my gosh i know that we're gonna have more to say about this but only parks and rec only parks and rec could take something as freaking ridiculous, and I know Ben Wyatt will back me up on this, (laughs) as a memorial service for a horse in this town full of crazies (laughs) with a song called 5,000
0: Candles Candles in the Wind, and actually make it like it gives you the feels, man. This is strong. I'll just straight up admit, I have listened to this song on purpose for the sake of enjoying the song. Yes. I, I, I completely agree. It's that good. It's not bad. Now, the drummer- Mark Mark Rivers. Rivers. Yeah. Like, I mean, he wrote this song and I think he's well credited for that. And he wrote a lot of the Mouse Rat songs. Yes. He's really, really talented. Yes, he is. And they just have like, and all the guys play their own instruments. They've covered that before. Right. And, you know, uh, Pratt singing. Right. It's pretty damn good. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, Wow. Well, Mark, we'll, we'll depart from there for a moment, and we now see that the butterfly effect is in full swing, and Leslie and Ben are feeling the consequences of this cover-up that they've tried to uh, they've tried to pull over.
1: That's right. So we're we're off stage somewhere now. It's, we've had this great mouse rat uh, uh, you know song, and the audience is way into it. That was a success. So we're off stage now, and Ben approaches Leslie and asks her why. Certain people are performing tasks they didn't plan for them to do. Right. Including, by the way, Don (laughs) reading Jerry's Italian poem badly. (laughs) And uh, apparently, as you alluded to, the the missing maintenance worker, George Jensen, uh, has caused a a chaotic uh, butterfly effect or ripple effect. And Leslie has been really scrambling to stay ahead of things and hold everything together. And just then... Ron walks up and angrily asks why councilman Hauser is laying the ceremonial wreath instead of him. Oh boy. And thinking fast, Leslie tries to trick Ron into thinking that she has something even better. Oh yeah. Lighting the memorial flame, which is Ron. This is the greatest honor of all. (laughs) And you notice that Ben kind of picks up on it. Oh my God, Ron, congratulations. (laughs) This is a thing and a half. And Ron, Ron didn't buy. He sees right yeah. through It says, who caught you guys? Like no preamble or anything. He just gets right to it. Yep. Okay. that George Jansen caught us. But, you know, we talked to him and he got a massage gift certificate. So it's going to be fine. He's not going to say anything. <laughs> <And> Ron, <laughs> and Ron, I love this. And Ron says, I think if you would know one thing about me, it would be that I prefer laying wreaths to lighting torches. And he's mad. And he, 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 gram, he grabs the torch and he leaves, which is going to uh, set up our next scene. So good. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> well, Mark, you know, as best friends often know each other that deeply, you would think that all the signs that Ron lets on would have let Leslie know that.
1: I agree. <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess. I, I love that, you know, Pert is doing something he's not supposed to have done initially. Right. But Joe is covering him for him because Pert had to fill in for Mortensen and Mortenson filling in for Hauser. And Hauser's like, it's just like this whole like thing is just
1: a mousetrap. The whole thing's coming apart. It's a Rube Goldberg disaster. It really is. You yeah. know how you know oh. how Perd is gonna do his task? How? He's going to start the task by starting it.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, there we go. Okay. That would have only been better if we'd had Perd there to do I know, it. I Very know. I nice. know. I know. Yeah, I miss Perd. Me yeah. too. Actually I wanted to see Hauser on stage.
1: He's so I would stoic.
0: I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He'd He's be very fitting for this. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, Mark, it was not the job Ron wanted, of course, if we've alluded to, but I think he can use this bit of pageantry to really, you know, fuel, if you will, <laughs> thank you, nice. the emotions of the moment and really make this quite memorable.
1: Yes. Yes. I, th- I think Ron is probably firmly in the school of thought that you should never half-ass two jobs. You should whole ass one job. Uh, And he's, he's going to whole ass this
0: job. He really is. (laughs) So, (laughs) so
1: Ron. So the next scene starts and Ron is on stage at the microphone and he's carrying the torch. I know he'd rather be laying the wreath, but he's going to do this. Then he's going to do it. Well, Mark, you deal with the cards. Life gives you. That's right. He's carrying the torch and he delivers a great uh, speech before attempting to light the eternal flame. And actually, you know what? Constantine buddy, let's let's play this clip i agree i have cried twice in my life once when i was seven and i was hit by a school bus oh and then again when i heard that little sebastian had passed Oh. his memory will live on as today we light a fire <laughs> that will burn on for eternity
0: oh my god hey okay deep breath i think we got through it oh god yeah Hey, Jerry, you put propane in the eternal flame, right? No, they were out. So I just got a big thing of lighter fluids, kind of the same thing. (gasps) Oh, geez. Oh. (laughs) Oh. 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 We planned that. Wow. Mark, I never <laughs> noticed before at the end of that, the Ann's on her feet, like ready to rush the stage to help Ron. Holy hand in a handbasket. <laughs> yeah, I think she realizes oh that my god!
1: normally that much fire around mm. someone's face. Not good. Look, I don't want to be judgy, but yeah. I'm not classified as being in the bad category. Bad, yes. There are a few visual things I think that may not have come across in the audio clip. So one is... Ron's speech at the mic, which is awesome, is sort of uh, overlaid with him uh, a, a little bit later, making his way uh, up to the eternal flame, yeah. like playing in the background. And his walk up to the Earth eternal flame is slow and methodical and and crisp with military precision. It's very exact and very respectful and very impressive. He's making a production out of this oh, yeah. as well he should. He wants to make him Proud, I'm pointing to the picture of the horse with the, the, the gigantic thing yeah, on, the, the cow, on the wall. Yeah, the cow on the horse. horse. Yeah. On um, the wall. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, he's making the most out of what I mean, the writers and the actors are so good on this. They're, they're making the most out of what could have been a, a little throwaway walk, but they're yeah. really milking this. He's just missing like six other soldiers. Oh, my God. Yeah. So right when jerry and i think you could kind of tell this from the audio but right when jerry tells leslie oh i couldn't get propane so i used lighter fluid instead you ron gets to the critical point of lighting the actual eternal flame and and i think we kind of hear but we as the audience see a giant fireball (sighs) erupt and ron kind of staggers back and in the clip you hear the audience go oh and you you also hear Leslie quickly recover. Oh, yay! You planned that? Re-playing, yay. Yeah. Hopefully, he's not. And Ron's
0: like a pile of ash <laughs> to the side. Like, holy hell! What does Ron say? He's like kind of doing the you know present arms thing. You know, yeah. as he does his flank and turn. What does he say right before he like like gets to the torch though? Like hike, I think he says hike, like hike the ball. Like, like hike the ball, yeah. Blue 22, hike. Howdy, hike. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Oh my God. Well, Jerry is obviously upset. We're clear on that. Um, Ron as well. Well, it's actually hard to know how he's feeling here, Mark.
1: I think he's uh, he's, uh, little, uh, he's a little burned up about all this. <laughs> yeah. A little on the nose, but I'll take it. Uh, yeah, do yeah, what yeah, you yeah, do. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Mark, as we alluded to, we're I believe we're now at what we would call the after party back at the Parks Department, right? And and you know Jerry's talking to Ron, apologizing. Uh, it's difficult for us to know how Ron really feels because he's lost most of his facial expressions <laughs> in the fire. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> and there's just a sequence of scenes that happen, kind of one after another here, right? Yeah, I, I think because of the scope. I mean, it's not like thousands of people or anything, but there's a
1: good number. I think this even goes beyond just the Parks and Rec office. Like it yeah. seems like it's all of City Hall yeah, in general. Not just
0: everyone of, from the event, but probably all of the inside track perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: that's a good way to put yeah. it. So, yeah, in, in this first scene, it's a it's we see Jerry standing with Ron and the camera is initially uh, showing Jerry's face and Ron's back. And Jerry is apologizing profusely for the fireball. <laughs> and then the camera, the camera switches to show Ron's face and he he appears to be OK Sort of. But we now see he has no eyebrows. Mm -hmm. Most of his mustache is Mm -hmm. gone. A lot of his Mm -hmm. hair in general is burned or gone. And he just looks ridiculous. Awesomely ridiculous.
0: Great hair and makeup in this episode. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, in, in light of this near catastrophe that, you know, was the little Sebastian Memorial service, you know, I think Leslie and Ben have also realized that their current approach to the situation is not working.
1: Right, right. It it looks like they're Leslie and Ben are in a room by themselves, but the room has a window looking out into the main area. So like they're watching yeah. Jerry and Ron talk, for example. Yeah, well done. And they're feeling guilty for, you know, starting the ripple effect that almost killed Ron uh, for I mean, whatever. Um, so yeah, they're they're struggling to figure out what they should do. And they finally land on what Leslie calls Operation Shutdown. While at work, no hand holding, smooching, et cetera, which is gonna be really tough. Yeah. But they both say to each other, they still want to be together in general. And they can say, yes, they could still be fired, but it's it's worth the risk. Yeah. If they can be together for
0: sure. Yep. And then Ben leans in for a kiss and looks hey, like. What are hey, doing. Are you
1: kidding me? Sorry, sorry, force a habit. Sorry.
0: Uh, uh, that's so funny. Well, Mark, I think Tammy, too, has taken the gift of making people feel uncomfortable to what can only be described as an art form, but before we 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 do that, um Ron is going to have yet another chance to be Tom's mentor here.
1: Yes, I completely agree. This was a very nice um as you said, mentor moment for ron we've We've recently seen a big increase in both Tom's dissatisfaction with his government job. And his desire to go do something bigger and better. And it seems like now Tom's at a fork in the road and he's now asking Ron for advice. Should he stay there or should he roll the dice with John Ralphio and Entertainment 720? And Ron points out that Tom has no interest in government work, but he ultimately needs to make the call for himself. But whatever Tom decides, Ron promises to support him either way. And as you alluded to, this lovely, lovely mentor moment is cut short by the appearance <laughs> of she who must not be named, but will because it's a sitcom. Tammy, too. <laughs> and this is this is so, so, so
0: good. Look, can we please play this clip? Please please yeah. please Yeah, constantly hit, hit that button. There. Yep. Two of my lovers in one place. What a coincidence. Tammy. <laughs> Hello, Ron. Well, what happened here? And more importantly.
1: Does the carpet match the face? <laughs> if you're looking for trouble, take it somewhere else. An hour ago, a giant fireball consumed my entire face. Hmm. And it was far preferable to spending another second with you. Hmm. Tell that to your pants tent. It's just the way I'm standing. <laughs> Go back to the library, where you belong.
0: Hey, Glenn. Want to dance? No, I'm okay. Does this one dance? No. With mommy, <laughs> <laughs> Glenn. She's still calling him Glenn. <laughs> so, three, <laughs> three things.
1: First, this was a really nice moment between Tom and Ron. Yeah. Um. the you know, just very nice, you know, relationship building thing. Um. Two. I love I love Megan Mullally. I, lo- mm-hmm. I love any time that she comes on and, and plays a, reprises her role as the yeah. the Voldemort, the Tammy too, uh <laughs> character. She does the Voldemort so well. Tammy, the Volda Tammy. <laughs> That's very good. And then I also got to say, I know that we started this theme uh, in the first half, but yeah. oh, my gosh. Great examples of facial acting. If you pay attention to Aziz Ansari when he's talking to Ron oh. and, and his eyes kind of go over and <laughs> and widen as he, he sees. sees Tammy up here. Holy crap. So funny. And then she calls him Glenn, oh. which nice callback. Yeah, it really is a good callback. Yeah, back. yeah.
0: Well, and too, I mean, even though Ron's facial hair is mostly singed off, it, it it's funny how much it does impact. His ability to react facially to what's happening. Yeah, like the Ron things are still there, but they're very muted and subtle now.
1: That's a great point. Yeah. I agree. I and, agree. And he's
0: got that crazy little thing going on with his mustache, where it's kind of in a little curl on the corner. Yeah, it's like a snidely whiplash sort of yeah. thing going there. Yeah, like I guess he hasn't had time to go home and shave any of this business off. No, it's pretty messy. <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> but funny,
0: it is very funny. Well, I I did like, you know, Ron's advice saying, look, go with your gut. And Tom's reaction is, my gut's really small and easily irritated. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, really good mentor stuff there. Yes. Yeah. Well, Mark, sometimes the hardest thing to do is accept that we have limits. Um, I've spent this whole year pretty much focused solely on that fact about myself. And uh, now it's Chris's turn to do the same thing.
1: I think you're right. This next little vignette scene uh, opens up with. uh, Is that what the French call it a vignette? I think so. Okay, it's like a it's like a baguette, but it's something you watch instead of you don't eat it.
0: I've I've been saying it wrong. Well,
1: that's 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 that's, uh, to your own devices there. And so (laughs) we we see Anne talking with someone in this scene, and she glances over and she happens to see Chris somberly looking at a picture of little Sebastian, and clearly he's. He still seems depressed and upset and facing mortality. Like he's not yet in a doesn't seem like he's in a good place. And Anne decides to walk over to Chris and show some compassion and talk him through his concerns a little bit. And it turns out that Chris did 10,000 pushups last week. (laughs) I I know how that is. And, Mm. And which could certainly be a factor in his tendonitis. Maybe good. God, uh, LOL. And come on. So Chris is still a little down that comments about his physical condition, which is great. Usually still seem to end with the phrase for your age for, for, or for, for, yeah. yeah. For your age or for 44 year old. Yeah. And And finally gets direct with him, like not in a mean way, but like more in in maybe a tough love and just says, yeah, that's how old you are, man. And Chris kind of smiles at this. And so, like, he's clearly feeling better now that he's talked to Anne and and he's more comfortable with Anne. And the scene ends with their very brief Chris talking head uh, overlaid with him, kind (laughs) of. Kind of wistfully watching Ann walk away and suggesting maybe,
0: maybe Chris might have rekindled mm. interest in Anne. Yeah. It's hard to know for certain, but right. I think there's, again, it's another one of those moments where we dwell just long enough to make you think, hmm, I wonder. Yeah. Well, I love, too, that, you know, she, he goes, yeah, you're right. I've been overreacting. I don't like thinking about death. Death is the opposite of, and then Anne fills in the rest and says, being alive? <laughs> exactly (laughs) look at us talking like friends oh my gosh what the hell
1: I also like his talking head where he uh he starts his talking head saying uh oh He says, uh, what's the point in doing 10,000 push-ups if you're going to do them alone? I'd much rather do 5,000 push-ups with a wonderful woman sitting on my back to increase (laughs) resistance. Which made me think, you know, it's the second time we've seen the number 5,000. Maybe Chris would have preferred the the song be called 5,000 Push-ups in the Wind. Oh, I like it. With a woman on my back. Yeah. That's a little wordy for title,
0: though. (laughs) Maybe a little. Yeah. Yeah. 5,000 strokes of tendonitis. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Yikes. Ouch. Well, Mark, over at the shoe shine booth, Kyle gets the offer that he just can't refuse and inspires Andy to propose to April again.
1: Wow. That is that is some that is some impressive stuff coming from them. So, yeah, Kyle's sitting there browsing the mouse wrap merchandise and April talks him into buying more stuff than he originally intended to at a higher price than necessary. And we <laughs> see some great punching bag Kyle. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, 18 I, bucks each or $40 for the set. He says, that doesn't add up. You don't add up <laughs> to which Kyle's response is. Okay. 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 <laughs> to hand over the buddy. Andy is so impressed that he asks April quote, the biggest thing I've ever asked anyone in my entire life, mm-hmm. like way more important than marriage. Yeah. Prompting an awesome camera mug from Aubrey Plaza, yeah. which watch this. Cause again, the mm-hmm. the theme, great facial acting. Andy wants April to be, his manager. And she happily says yes. Yeah. I think it's not really a bad move either for him. No, because he he is talented. Yeah. I, th- I think we're pretty clear about that. Yeah. He's not a great marketing or sales no. guy. And April is definitely in that area, at least way more savvy.
0: Yeah. Well, and he could go out and get a standard manager, but they don't know how to deal with crazy Andy and she does.
1: Well, th- there's that. And you know what else I was thinking about? I mean, Kyle, of course, is our punching bag target for this sure. example. But I think Andy in general is too at least this version of Andy that we're seeing now is too nice and too positive to really try and hammer home. Like, oh, yeah. You need to buy my stuff. <laughs> April, on the other hand, will do that gladly. Oh, yeah. Like she'll be the sniper.
0: Yep. Yep. She'll ask for a thousand and accept 50 on his behalf. Right. Yeah, Exactly. Well, Mark, this next scene starts with a really nice moment between Ron and Tom and then moves on to Leslie. But, you know, both of these mini scenes are signaling new opportunities for members of the Parks team. Yeah, this this next little little mini scene, it's it
1: it takes place right after. April's agreed to be Andy's managers. We just alluded to, and we hear uh mouse rats now hit sing- single 5,000 candles in the wind playing in the background. So like all of this, this entire piece yeah. at city hall has a very musical, yeah. uh, like a high level of musicality to it, which I really, really like They tied it all together. Very nicely. And a couple of things happen as the song is playing in the background to kind of give it like a sentimental bump yep. with no spoken dialogue. Right. One is, We see Tom walk up to Ron and give him a sheet of paper. And Ron looks down at it and looks at Tom, nods his head, shakes his hand. So presumably we are to believe Tom just quit. Yep. He, He made the decision.
0: I think he made the decision.
1: And B, this doesn't really go anywhere exactly, but it's just a very nice little moment where Ben is standing there with Chris And looks across the room kind of wistfully at Leslie and Leslie looks back at him and they both kind of share like a bittersweet smile Mm because, you know, that they want to be together. But they kind of feel like, well, we 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 can't.
0: I feel like it was all of that. And it's also a left bookend to a right bookend. We're going to get in a minute. Well,
1: alluding to that, finally, you know, right as they're sharing this little bittersweet moment. A tall, well-dressed, ple- pleasant gentleman walks up to yeah. Leslie and introduces himself as William Barnes and asks Leslie if she has a moment to talk.
0: Yep. Well, and then we quickly move on then, you know, to a, a meeting with Mr. Barnes and what I'm calling, you know, the the entire group of Barnes and associates, Mark. I, oh, uh, I like yeah, it. You like that? Right. Like. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Leslie learns why that they wanted to speak to her and she is absolutely honored once she understands my
1: goodness. Yes. So, yeah, Leslie is now at a table. That's like, it, it's still there at city hall, but they're like kind of a little aside. So they, they have some a little more privacy. That's right. Side. Yeah. And Leslie's at the table with, uh, Barnes and associates, which we, we see visually as William Barnes and two other people that we haven't yet been introduced to. There appears to be an, an older man and, and a younger woman and William tells Leslie, that the three of them are part of a group that tries to identify potential candidates for political office here in town, and they think that she might fit the bill. And coincidentally, the mayor's term is up next year, and they they point blank ask Leslie if she would be theoretically interested in running for office, to which she emphatically (laughs) says Yes. I mean, absolutely Absolutely, I that's am. That's
0: right. <laughs> Maintaining all of her dignity. Right. In one word. Yeah. So pretty huge moment. It's a big moment. It's a big moment. Yeah. it's. I think it's fair to say, and she says so, she's just dreamed about this moment for a long time. Yeah. I think we know that going back to season one, episode one. Yeah look at her office look at her heroes look at her wall you know i mean it's just this is something that she's dreamed of since she was a little girl yep yep well mark you've heard of foreshadowing well this is one of those moments and apparently it indicates some truly terrifying events to come and of course i'm i'm referring to something that's about to happen with donna tammy and ron
1: yeah yeah i might even call it five shadowing it's it's pretty (laughs) intense that's horrible. It's just called. That, that's shot. really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. But I
0: still, it still made me laugh.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a nice that, show. that's yeah. what I go for.
0: Um, so we see
1: Tammy, uh, Tammy too, go up to Ron one last time. I think she's just trying to still mess with him a little <laughs> bit and may try to tempt him and mess with him and stuff. And he seems to be holding strong and, And they kind of exchange a few verbal barbs. And Mm. then we see Donna briskly walk up and warn Ron about his ex-wife. And at first, Ron glances at Tammy, too, and glances back at Donna and says, yeah, (laughs) no kidding. But then Donna clarifies. She means the other (laughs) ex-wife. And Ron and Tammy, too, glance at each other in horror. And we hear Ron softly mutter with dread in his voice. Tammy won, <laughs> and, and and the camera. The, this is brilliant the way they did it. The camera pans over to show a, like a vague uh, outline, and I, I yeah. think maybe it's an elbow, but you can tell someone is there, but you can't yeah. really tell any details about them. And I don't know if it was an elbow or a leg or a foot or maybe a cloven hoof. I, I don't know what it was, but we can't make out too much. But we see Tammy too wide-eyed, let out a huge curse. And run. Ron, yeah. <laughs> clearly yeah. frightened. And Ron looks deeply concerned,
0: <laughs> to put it mildly. Holy hell. It's kind of like when you see the lion hunting the gazelle on the plains, Mark, and then something scares the crap out of the lion. You're like, oh, my God, what must it be?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, what if the lion was there and then let's say the Incredible Hulk came across?
0: Right smash lion that's not good no so you wonder what, it, what
1: is rating for Rod in his office
0: uh, or or as Donna put it his office his office oh I love that yeah <laughs> it's so funny the way she delivered that line yes it is ugh Well, and we're going to hold on and find out later, apparently, because in the final scene of the night, Leslie is going to have a lot to consider. And it's important to start from a place of complete honesty. That's right. That's right. We're we're back with Leslie and the the Barnes
1: and Associates. Yeah, I call uh, them
0: the politicos
1: here. The politicos, the political group there. And William warns Leslie and just in a very transparent that this, this is not yep. with with heat, heat or anything. He just yeah. says, well, when you run, even in a local election, your life becomes an open book. So if you as much as as stiff a, a waiter on his tip or use a government stamp for personal mail, it's going to come out. So before we go any further, I need you to tell us, is there a scandal out there? Is there anything at all that you need to tell us about your life? And the the camera pans up above Williams head, kind of looking through a nearby window where we see. Um, Ben in the hallway talking to Jerry and Leslie stares at William for a few seconds and she's not answering. And she says, Nope. (laughs) And, and William says, all right, we'll, we'll be in touch. And the, the three politicos get up and they leave. And Leslie just sits there for a second, smiling at first, and then starting to look contemplative and a little concerned. And she glances up at Ben through the same window who notices her looking at him, notices the look on her face and gives her kind mm-hmm. of a questioning look. And we see Leslie give him a, a weak smile scene ends.
0: It's interesting because Ben starts off with a normal grin. He just sees in this nonverbal exchange again, again, this theme, right? Yeah, this theme that's been you know present this entire episode. That something in Leslie has changed. Something has changed. Yes, and I'm sure he's wondering who these people are and, and whatnot. But he, he, you know, he knows that something's up without any of that being revealed to him. And this is
1: this scene really pops for us as the audience because not again. Not only do we as the audience know how much this means to Leslie, but it's it's kind of up in the air as far as what this is going to mean for Leslie and Ben. Absolutely, Mark. Absolutely. And on top of that, again, I'm going to say it again. Outstanding facial acting yeah. in this scene, particularly between Amy Poehler and. Uh, it's Adam always Scott. good
0: with these folks, yeah. but like this episode, they like, amped man. it up to eleven. The yeah, they really is spinal top level. Yep. yep, yep, absolutely. Well, Mark, at this point, all that's left is the kicker, and here we're going to be reminded what it's like to be a kid, uh, you know, or in your mid thirties, and and have your dreams uh, really start to be realized. That's right. That's right. So
1: the camera shot goes to what looks like I'm gonna try to do this justice. Yeah. It looks like an enormous space, the size of a of a warehouse, and it's ev- everything is painted white, everything. Yeah. And we see uh, bizarre furniture pieces everywhere. It's it's like it's like a cross between technology. Uh, artistic expression, Doctor <laughs> Seuss, and an acid trip—like it's this weird, fun, She's weird a great description. They like that, yeah. And it, we then see Tom in this high-tech circular couch with a ceiling, talking on a phone. I, you know, I give it. I, I can't. I can't do this justice. Can we go ahead and just play the kicker as a final clip?
0: I, I think we should do that. Hey, Constantine, buddy, let's play a play us out today. Yep.
1: Yeah, I think we can do that from the. Okay, we'll talk soon. There was no one on the other end of that phone call, but <laughs> soon there will be.
0: Welcome to the Dreamatorium, AKA the headquarters of Entertainment 720. It's only two blocks away from City Hall, but there's a whole new world over here. We got a pool table, a ping pong table, a lounge area, a couch with a ceiling on it, in-house DJ, DJ Blunt, and best of all, former NBA superstar Detlef Shrimp is on retainer. Yeah. What's up, Detlef? Hey. John Ralfio, who's sitting at my clear purple desk. What? Who's this person? <laughs> oh, you talking about this little sweetie right here? Yeah. That is our new assistant, Tessa. I saw her sweating real sexy on the Stairmaster of Bally's. I need petty cash. My iPhone cover's gross and I need to get a new one. Yeah, get it to match your personality. Petty cash, Money Bowl, go diving. <laughs> Why do we keep our petty cash in a clear plastic toilet bowl? I don't know, maybe because we're flush WITH CASH! So Tom, what does this business do again? It's a multimedia entertainment production
1: conglomerate. Well, I don't know, man. You have a lot of overhead here. Ever thought about scaling back a bit and focusing on building a client base?
0: (laughs) Thanks a lot, Forbes magazine, but we didn't hire you to give us business (laughs) advice. We hired you to look pretty and shoot baskets. So why don't you head over there and do your thing? We want people to see you when they come in, left We may not have any clients yet, but we're about to blow up. First you set up the pond, then you reel in the fish. Big D, hit me! Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh! Come on! <laughs> living the dream.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. All right, so it's, oh that that's an awesome clip to play us out, like the final uh, scene of season three.
0: Yeah, that's so it.
1: A few visual things that may not have come across during the clip. Both DJ Blunt and Detlef Schremfer are actually, they're, they're there in person. Like yeah. they're just hanging out there yeah. ready to do things if needed, yeah. but they don't have anything to do because they don't have any clients. Right. Here. Um, I, I love how when, when Tom asked John Rafio, who, who's this person at the desk? He runs across this vast amount of white space, purposefully goes through a couch, rolls through it. Like he's an action hero. Yeah, and right. then like, just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, Tessa, like DJ Blunt and that Det- Detlef Shrimp, is oh just playing God. on her iPhone and with nothing to do. Um, they mentioned we heard them mention the money stored in a clear plastic toilet bowl. Yes, it is. It's a sight to behold. Um and at the very end, I, I love this because it's so ridiculous. The very end, you hear John Ralphio say, Big D, hit me. And he goes in. He Detlef <laughs> passes him the ball and then lazily and easily swats away his basket yeah. attempt. And then John Ralphio comes back and shoves
0: Detlef. Okay, <laughs> like, come he, on, man.
1: He, he's going to pound you. Uh, oh, so funny. Also, did you did you notice uh, I actually didn't catch this the first few times I listened to it. They have specifically said that their headquarters are just two blocks away from City Hall. I so did. it's, it's going to be not an uncommon thing for them. Should, to drop Should by. Tom yeah. want to visit or Visca versca.
0: <clears throat> well, that and the fact that they refer to it as the Dreamatorium. I somehow missed that. Until I got into the episode analysis, but that's what we'll be calling this space, the dreamtorial Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Why I wouldn't mean, we? You have to. Yep. Yeah. And what a great name for it, actually. I mean, I think in, in terms of anything, like take aside the fact that you need to make money to spend money, or, well, to keep spending money. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you got a math problem. Yes. But uh, a creative space can be very helpful when you're launching a new business. I totally agree with that. I just... I fear that maybe they don't know what that new business really does. D- Detlef was trying to help them out. Yeah, Forbes magazine could get out of our business. Yeah, look pretty and shoot baskets. That's what you do. <laughs> Detlef Shrimp, of course, from the Indiana Pacers That's at right. the time. So now we're tired. But um, I'm going to see if we can get Detlef on the show. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be cool? How cool would that yeah. be? I'll see. I'll see. We've exchanged a little thing on, on the socials once already. So oh, man. Maybe we'll make that happen. Call him Big
1: D. He likes that.
0: I'm going to call him Big D. Okay, yeah. good. He'll love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mark, I know we would normally take a quick break right now, but I think we're going to trudge ahead here. Um, Let's jump right into our normal deleted scenes, tropes first, fun facts, and then we'll get into scoring and then we'll send everybody home after the end of this part two episode. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Well, deleted scenes, easy peasy. None. Done. Done. Nailed it. Move on. Yep. What about first tropes and fun facts mark uh, what would you get this week I know I had to
1: miss some um I I had three um these are just easy, easy gimmies I think you know is the first mention that the birth really of entertainment 720 yep. um it's it, it's the first appearance of mouse rats iconic 5000 candles in the wind which is probably their most famous song yep uh, at least in in my household it is <laughs> and it's it's the first time that Leslie first starts mentally preparing and going on this journey to take office. Mm. How about you? Uh,
0: those are the three I had as well. I mean, really, yeah, it's the, the launch of Leslie's political career. Yep. Tom's true entrepreneur career. Yep. I mean, he's been entrepreneurial in his thinking for sure, but- He's so, all in now. He's all in. He yep. quit his job. Yep. I mean, you don't get any more all in than that. Good thing that John is flush with cash. Flush with cash. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that that was pretty much it on first as well. And, you know, of course, it, it is the last episode of season three. So oh, yeah. Worth mentioning as well. That's true. How about uh, them, their tropes?
1: I had I had four. And again, I, I, I I'm nervously thinking I missed one or two, but I so. Tom the Mogul. Yep. Or, and I can't remember if that's what we called it. It was something along those lines. Yeah, Tom the Mogul is what we called it. Yeah. So, you know, he resigns one. to pursue Entertainment yep. 720. So, you know what? Good for him. Yep. He was at a fork in the road. He's he's going for it. Yep. Um, PBJ, too many to count. Oh,
0: my gosh. Holy Hannah. Some great ones here. Uh, you
1: yep. know, his poem, the propane <laughs> lighter thing, cube butt. I mean, just you mention it. I
0: love that this time- it- They did something slightly different, but it paid off because it it was like a uh, one two punch. Mm -hmm. Or Jerry says he's going to do this Italian poem. Yeah. Normally they would have shut him down right there. Yeah. But Leslie's, oh no, Jerry, that sounds delightful. That's great. Yeah. And like six minutes later, and she's like, no one wants to hear your
1: (laughs) poem, Jerry. (laughs) Wow.
0: How so, the worm turns. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh.
1: Also, we had punching bag Kyle. Kyle. Yeah. That, uh, well. that doesn't add up. You don't add up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Buy the stuff. And mm-hmm. then, um, Andy Forster. this is one that you started that I really like, um, superhuman Leslie. Yep. Now this, there's a different flavor here, I think, because we've seen her do spectacular, darn near miraculous things like she did with harvest festival and some yep. other things. so, Kind of like she put together this memorial and I get that she and Ben through their shenanigans kind of caused it to wobble dangerously out of place. But I think she still deserves props for this.
0: Nobody could have put this into motion and and got it to, to the point where it could happen in a single day except Leslie. That's right. But yeah. here she really did have some real and genuine help from Tom yes. who did a great job of producing the live show.
1: Yes, that's a great point. I completely agree. Yeah. How about you? What did I miss?
0: I had three of those four. I I forgot to actually include Superhuman Leslie. Oh, nice. Which is, you know, I mean, here's another major place where she does that. And I did not include it. But I think, again, it was skewed because of Tom having such a big role in the actual production, which, you know, it's nice to see that it isn't just the Leslie show, first of all.
1: Well, and not only that, but but in the past, if there's been a project that Leslie was on that that threatened to not succeed with flying colors... She was, I don't think she was ever the potential cause of it. She was potentially here, even though it turned out okay. I mean, don't tell that to Ron and his mustache. Well, but. I
0: was gonna say, I mean, if if you don't know what happened behind the scenes, yeah, everything went great. Just like the Politicos here, they loved it. They thought it was great. Yeah, they probably don't know how close it came to teetering on the edge of failure.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, how about goofs? I had
1: one. I had I had no goofs. I did have uh, well, and really, I don't have a fun fact either because we had already talked about it. Just the fact that the the, the horse pooping thing, they yeah. they they kind of like kind of went with it. And, yeah. And,
0: we had a few of those things that kind of circumstantially became canon, but weren't necessarily intended to be. Um, we mentioned those throughout the episode, so I guess those are fun facts. On the goof side, um, you know, Jerry, or Donna gets up and does Jerry's poem because of the shift and all the different labor, right, and the crisis, you know, right, right. created by the you know missing... The uh, chaotic
1: ripple yeah, effect. Yeah, the chaotic
0: yeah. ripple effect. Um, and she mangles Jerry's poem, but What's interesting is that later she actually does a piece in opera of opera in Italian with exquisite pronunciation. So it's a little bit of I guess a continuity error that she can barely speak the Italian Jerry wrote here and later she seems to be fluent operatically mm. in it.
1: Um so two thoughts on that. One yeah. it's not a continuity error yet.
0: Well no it will be. I can see the future
1: mark. And two couldn't it be that she learned Italian in the meantime? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what you're exactly right it was treat yourself day she went out and got herself a copy of Babel and learned italian I, i'm sorry you're exactly right i i totally missed it i don't know yeah all right all right i'm just i'm just poking at you. well and did you catch in the producer's commentary as well that um retta mentions she even did an alt take of this poem reading where she sang it in italian and apparently it was beautiful I suspect this was just a lot funnier. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, you I do fun. remember
0: that. Yeah, nice. little, little things you don't know unless you dig in a little bit. That's right. Yep. Well, Mark, should we move in then to our score? We should do that. Let's do that. All right. And again, let's remind people, I know we did this in part one and we kind of did slightly in part two, but it just worth recapping as we move into scores. We reviewed the producer's cut of this episode, which runs almost 28 minutes. There is a standard cut of the episode which runs about 2120 So about a, a six and a half minute differential on the two and it could lead to two different scores from each of us today.
1: Well that that's right and and, and we when we broke down the episode, we definitively did go through the producer's cut. Now both you and I have, uh, observed and and watched and and analyzed both of these cuts, and so as you said, there there may be two different scores that that um, <clears throat> come out of this. Yeah, um, uh, and allowed by brass, and allowed by brass.
0: The only way in which I'm apparently allowed to give two scores, I found out last week. But that's okay. They did not kick me to auxiliary parking. I got a warning. I got a verbal warning.
1: Oh, that's fine. That's that's good that you get warnings. Um, the, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, Sorry, Mark. Well, no, it doesn't seem unfair at all. And there's no bitterness on this side. So, you know what, Alan, speaking of the brass, we had talked about last week, and I probably surprised you unfairly last week. Yeah, we had very unfairly. About, we had, we had <laughs> but I winged about, it. Cry baby. The way we talked about how... Um, the, the whole MVP mechanic yeah. that we're gonna uh, <clears throat> both submit Ooh. our personal choices, yeah, uh, and which I think is a great idea. And so, yep. um, for me, this was this was tough. Um, uh, mm. this episode, I particularly liked Leslie and Ron and Ben, I thought were very, very strong candidates, all of them. Tom and Andy even had a several extremely strong moments yep. as well. Um, at the end of the day, I did pick Amy Poehler as Leslie Nope. I, I feel like she just barely edged out the competition. She was so, so good in this, um, you know, like with Harvest Festival, she was once again the superhuman, as we said, that put this together in almost no time at all. Th- this episode showed her as the incredibly, you know, deep, rich, nuanced character we've all come to know and love. She's very capable, very smart, very funny, very sweet, but she, also she's Far from perfect, mm. which I like. Yeah, I, do too. I like a lot and and struggling for balance in her life. The ending to this episode shows her starting her, her exciting and inevitable rise to political office and brings us to a journey that we knew that she would eventually go on. Um, I, I thought her interactions with Ron and Ben in this episode are some of the best that she's ever done. Although hats off to the gentleman as well for giving as good as they get. Right. It's a it's a mark of a real deep fleshed out character that. Huge ideas and concepts can be conveyed with a single look. I yeah. know we've beat this horse with the dead stick we'll strike that, reverse <laughs> it. But I mean, everybody, everybody was on fire with their facial acting in this episode, which is so freaking effective. You know, when, when you can just take half a second and convey what would probably take 30 to 40 seconds to accurately convey in words. In dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, Agreed. absolutely. So a few additional notes. Oh my gosh. I I mean, there's so much that I could say about this episode. For me, it's amazing how little Sebastian can feel like such a powerful fixture in Pawnee, like such a symbol of community uh, unity that it seems like he's been around forever, even though he was only in one other show, nine episodes ago. That's That's really remarkable. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned in the past how much I love sitcoms that can kind of walk the line between funny and sweet and maybe with a touch of believable drama uh, without dragging things down. It's tough as hell to do. But if you accomplish it, it's it's magic. And I, I just feel like they perfected that here. I mean, w- they nailed it with a capital. N. Um, <laughs> I've also mentioned in prior podcasts how much I love shows, especially sitcoms. That have a, a a musical quality to them, mm. like, you know, making effective use of songs and music and it gives scenes a more ethereal quality and it gives them a punch that otherwise I don't know if it would be possible. I know I've talked about the sitcom Scrubs. I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, they, they do that a lot. Yep. And man, they did that to great effect in this episode, not only with uh, Mouse Rats, 5000 Candles in the Wind, which was awesome, uh, but also like all the songs that they played in the background. Uh during the uh the memorial after party at City Hall. Yeah. And even the songs that they use in the Entertainment 720 video. Like just like the whole thing had a very musical quality to it that I thought was really, really effective. I was genuinely surprised by the emotional punch at the end when Leslie tells the politicos she has no no secrets to reveal. And then and then looks at Ben with a very hard to read, weak smile on her face. And I mean, and I don't know at that point what we as the audience are supposed to think, but man, that's, that's, that's some serious stuff. So just well done. I was also genuinely surprised. I I know I've commented in the past how much Tom can kind of come across as a kind of a clown in his own right. I mean, especially if he's just like, you know, pimping Tom, it's like, pimpin okay, Tom, dude, yeah, there, there's, yeah. a, there's a limit to how serious I can take you. I was genuinely surprised at, how much I was affected by the scene where Tom quits. It it was quite an emotional punch, you know? Hats off to the great Ben Schwartz for creating such an awesomely memorable and enjoyable character in John (laughs) Ralph. Holy hell. He threatens, he steals the scene every time they feature him, it seems like.
0: That that little smile he does into the camera, (laughs) (laughs) a sly grin. Oh my God, it slays me.
1: This was such a good John Ralph episode. And having said that, I feel like it's interesting and somewhat telling to compare John Ralph with Tom because on the surface they seem like Two peas in a very ridiculous hyped up pod. Yes. But and they do have a lot in common, like taste wise and even what they're passionate about. Right. But I echo Ron's sentiments from earlier. John Ralphio. I I love the character. Ben Schwartz hats off to you, buddy. I love the character. I want him on the show as much as possible. But John Ralphio is a clown. Yeah. And and may be able to indirectly create spectacles, but I don't really think he has much of any real talent. Tom is different. Tom actually has ability. Yeah. And when he channels it, he can be very effective. Now, is this – he maybe should be listening to Detlef here a little bit. I don't know. But but if it were just John Ralfio, I would say forget this. This is going to – because It's going to fail. What yeah. would be driving it? Yeah. But with Tom, I think it at least has a chance.
0: It has a shot. It like He's got it, an idea. It's just not fully
1: formed yet. Right, right. Yeah. I, I think – you know what? I go back to – um Uh, the, the, the second episode of season one canvassing, which I know I wasn't a huge fan of, but I said it back then. It's nice for Tom to have a platform where he can kind of show off and demonstrate. He does have talent. He, it's nice to see him do what he's good at. It makes him feel like more of a fleshed out character. Um, <laughs> you remember back in Soulmates, um, where they had like the burger cook-off and and oh. and we had uh, I was almost giddy at the punching bag royale when we had Je- punching bag Jerry and punching Jerry. bag Kyle yes. like together and like oh who will who the whole concept, like I didn't even care what happened at that point. I was so giddy that it's gonna be like this <sighs> battle of the titans. And in a similar sense, in this episode, I was similarly giddy to see Tammy too finally be scared crapless <laughs> at Tammy one. one, yeah, you know, cause like Tammy two uh, always seemed like this undefeatable force of yes. evil Godzilla, like in the shape of a perverted yes. librarian yeah, and, and like Ron could resist her and like sometimes match her, but never uh, d- defeat her or anything. But Tammy one has Tammy two quaking in her uh, boots and I love it to death. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: I have a feeling we'll see more about that in season four.
1: So cool. All right. So, Enough of my yammering. This was such a good episode. On to the score. Here we go, baby. It's gonna happen. All right. So I'm gonna start this out, and I was actually surprised. I went, I went back and forth, and I deliberated on this score a lot. And here's here's where I landed. I thought for sure that t- typically the highest score I would ever give for a base score is a five. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure with how good of an episode this is, I was just gonna give it a five and move on. I gave it a four. And, okay. the, and the reason I gave it a four is because even though the stories were pretty good, I think what kept this, com- I, I think what made this as good of an episode as it is was the aggregate of all the individual moments. And that's what I want to call out here. So it's not that the stories were bad. I just want to put the spotlight mm-hmm. where I think it deserves to be. I think if that makes fair. sense. I, totally. So I'm going to give it a four base score. Um, uh, all four were good stories. I'm going to give half a point for a great performance by episode MVP. Amy Poehler is Leslie. Note. half a point for a great performance by Nick Offerman is Ron Swanson, including tremendous facial acting. I mean, really the the same for all of them. Half a point for great performances by both Ben and Tom. Uh, I'm kind of including that and them both in the same half point category, Uh, making the most of their screen time. I'm going to give half a point for great use of the comedic bench, including return guest star appearances by Ben Schwartz as yeah. John Raphael mm-hmm. and Megan Mullally as Tammy, Two, And not to mention several of the other regulars like uh, Kyle and Dr. Harris and yep. the Mouse Rap Band members and Detlef Shrimp. And of, <laughs> and of course, posthumously, little Sebastian, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, I love that cow. <laughs> It's so funny. I'm going to give half a point to I, I, I've harped on it enough. I couldn't not include it. I'm going to give half a point to the outstanding facial acting done by almost everyone in this episode. It was so effective. Mm. I'm going to give half a point to the Ron confrontation scene with Ben and Leslie, including the recording of Ben's butt dial. Oh, my. <laughs> O-M-G-L-O-L. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is how Eleanor Roosevelt would kiss.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna so give Tom.
1: I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give half a point to the giant fireball <laughs> that <laughs> burns Ron's face off. I'm gonna give half a point mm-hmm. to Mouse Rat's hit single, Bye Bye Little Sebastian, which as you yeah. and I have covered is really good. It
0: almost deserves a point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna give half a point to Entertainment 20's presentation and John Rafio's scene backstage with Tom. That was actually a really important scene for Tom. Um I'm going to give half a point for Tom deciding to quit and strike out on his own in a very touching series of scenes and culminating in the interesting and somewhat ridiculous but nice kicker. And I'm going to give half a point for Leslie finally taking the first scary step on her journey to become mayor. Um, So all, all the things that I've added here, I should say, are from the normal version. That this is kind of when I went through okay. and kind of computated all my points yep. there. I didn't make Fair. that clear at first. So these are all from the normal version. So you do the abacus and the thing and the math and the stuff. Meat morph. You come up with 9.5 little Sebastians.
0: On the standard cut.
1: On the standard cut. Okay. On the standard cut. Now, <sighs> Alan, we knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen. We knew it. We knew it in our gut. Eventually, this is going to happen. I'm going to give an extra half point. For the producer's cut. I'm going to give it for the added scenes and the extended scenes because it fully fleshes out important plot points like the fact that Tom came up with a freaking idea (coughs) for Entertainment 720 and making the show feel much more well formed. They have thoroughly fleshed out this world of Pawnee, making it seem as deep and nuanced as uh, Springfield for The Simpsons. You know, it's it's really that good.
0: They're still missing Ned Flanders, but beyond that, they've got it all.
1: <laughs> you're rightily ho. Uh, that's all I can do because then I get tired. Uh, so, yeah, you add you add in that extra half point and, you know, this is – I'm making the stand. I'm so, you're, pl- you're I'm,
0: saying this is the producer's cut. The producer's cut. The producer's cut, Sebastian. That's right. Is a 10.0.
1: I'm taking the stand. I'm planting my flag on the hill. This is a 10. Okay. I, I, we knew this was going to happen. It's a, it's a, I know, you know what? We've talked about this. It's a risk to say that like this episode is the best of all the best when we have more to come, because there, I, I don't feel bad taking that risk with this episode. Get it
0: more than one ten.
1: 10. It hits. Yeah, I guess you're right. But all I, all I know is I'm telling you, man, this one hits all the marks. I have no nitpicks for it. There's great facial acting. There's hilarious, me more moments. There's moments with real emotional punch, important plot lines, important relationship building. This one had it all. I stand by my score. Now go ahead, eviscerate me. You're going to give it a four, aren't you? I'm going to take a swing at you if you give it a four. All
0: right. So here's the thing, Mark. Oh,
1: geez. Oh, geez.
0: Look, I I, I like that you think that this is the perfect episode. Yeah. I just wish I had gone first Mm -hmm. so that I could say it first.
1: (laughs) I take a drink in my energy drink just in case I had to do a spit take and I almost did.
0: <laughs> Please you're, don't do a spit take in the studio. Again. Are, you, are you kidding me? No. Look, here's the thing. You're going to have to outrun the blueberry if you're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. All all right. It's for real. Right, right, right. I have a nitpick, but I, I will say I rounded. up. Is the nitpick that I went first? No, no. We all like it when you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, everyone appreciates it. What's your nitpick? I, I'm kind of glad we don't do quarter points. Because if we did quarter points, I don't think I would have given it a 10. I think I would have given it a 9.75. Because mm. the 0.25 problem I have with it is mostly around the Chris storyline. Mm. And you kind of, you didn't say it exactly that way, but you did give it a lower base score. Mm-hmm. Because you felt like maybe the stories weren't the thing that made the episode the best. And I think in this case, the sum of the parts leading to the whole are what make it the 10. Mm-hmm. If you get too specifically into any one of those components, it's easier to find problems. Like, you know what I mean? And I, I hit on this a little bit last mm. week when I said there's the difference between how I technically review a, a show and how that show makes me feel. I think in this case, I it was a 10 on the technical side. It's a 9.75 on the feel, but I, I'm going to give you a 10. Um, and, and the standard cut, I, I would have given probably a 9.5 as well. Mm. I felt like it's weird. I would have normally said, well, six and a half minutes, surely, that's going to be at least a whole point differential. It really wasn't.
1: They I made f- good use of the time when they were forced to cut. I it love down. it.
0: I think that's a great way to say it. And I'd say that what they did do, and the reason it's not a whole extra point in the seven extra minutes, in lots of cases, they just gave it more breathing room. Mm-hmm. which made it a, a more enjoyable episode to watch. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. And they don't normally have that luxury. Yeah. I don't know that it added a ton of content that just made it X factor funnier, X factor more dramatic. I mean, they, they, you know, heck, half the impact of this show came in scenes that had no dialogue. So it's yeah. not hard to imagine that you right. know, what we're saying is true here. So yeah, 10 Little Sebastian's.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it.
0: I, and again, I, I'm lo- I've looked forward enough to wonder, I think what we're both wondering is, will there be another 10? I think we can have another 10. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. If we feel like it's earned it. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, we, it is worth pointing out that the production version of this, the version that aired, the standard version, we would both rate a nine and a half. A really, really good episode, but not perfect. I think, again, the extra stuff here, the extra time that they took with it it really is what gives it a 10.
1: Yeah, you know what? I I would agree with that. I think we've said in the past that because they fleshed out this world of Pawnee, the Pawnee universe so well, and they fleshed out the characters so well. Yes, the individual funny moments are important and the plot's important. But also, and I, I speak for me, but I think you probably agree with me on this. It's just enjoyable to be in this nutty world with these people and just exist there with them. Like there's there's a there's a there's a comfort and a, and a a commonality that you feel just because you're so familiar with these people. It's like going back to your hometown.
0: You know, what? I'll say another. I agree with that, by the way, totally. And I'll double down and say that while I love The Office and it's still one of my favorite all time shows, I think generally it was reviewed better than Parks and Recreation by the masses. Yeah. Um, a little bit. And and in some ways I can see why and yet this show always makes me feel better than mm-hmm. The Office does. Period end of story if we if that's all we're scoring on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think it is a f- more of a feel good show where The Office took the slightly more cynical path often. And you don't always feel great about it, but it's often really, really funny. Yeah. So again, another really good show. But I think Park stands alone here in kind of having that component to it where the other shows like The Office don't always have. That's a good way to put it. And I'd say most Mike Sure shows do have that. Mm -hmm. I think that's where Mike has really done this thing with the communities and the stories he's telling. He tends to go to that side of the psyche and really spend more time there.
1: That that's a great point. I I think that um I think when I look at the office and I consider all the characters, I think that I can easily say, you know what, I really like these characters. And when I say it, then I mean it probably more like bec- because they're really talented and funny. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, Parks and Rec. I like.
0: Yeah, these characters. Yeah, that's well put. Yeah, yeah, important important emphasis there. Right. Wow, Mark. Well, that was a lot. Uh, Thank you for bearing with us. I hope you uh, enjoyed both parts of this episode (laughs) and uh, understand and appreciate why we did it as a two parter. Just so much to talk about here. You know, that that leads me to uh, the next thing, which is that, you know, as part of these two episodes, we're dropping these extra uh, Pawnee spotlights. We're going to do that again this week. And then here coming up, we really dig into the beginnings of Leslie's political career. Awesome. That's going to be pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, we got a full board. We got 22 episodes in season four unlike season three here where we only had 16, we have a few more. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I think we're going to look at a season three recap here before we launch season four as well.
1: Yeah, I think that, that would make sense. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, very nice job, Mark. I appreciate it. And uh, I really appreciate everybody listening at home. Um, go out and visit us on the website. Check us out on the social media. We haven't asked you to do that in a while. Go out on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you would. We're also on all the major podcast platforms if you like to listen to your podcast elsewhere. So uh, thank you for all your your listenership and we look forward to coming back in season four. All right. Bye everyone. Bye everyone.
1: Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of The Creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.